0: Well, my verse today, the text that I was given, has two words. That's it. That's my assignment. a verse of two words. Now, okay, it's five words in your English translation. Okay, six if you use the ESV, those overachievers. But it's only two words in Hebrew. That's my verse. That's my text. I was given two words. Not that I'm blaming Moses for being overly brief. I mean, when you're carving things into rock, it pays (laughs) to be as pithy as possible. Okay. Well, you might be thinking, okay, a whole sermon on two words. Maybe these are really difficult words to understand. Like we're going to need to spend a lot of time in the concordances and lexicons, grasp the nuance, the complexities of these two words. Well, the first word is no. (laughs) That's what it is, it's it's no, right? And just so the Hebrew nerds don't bother me after the sermon, it's actually and no. Okay, Um, Moses is linking Commandments six through 10 and no murder and no adultery and no stealing in. Um, But that's pretty straightforward, okay? First word, no. So I guess we need to talk more about the second word. So I remember being in second grade Sunday school class um, where our teacher was this really older, you know, diminutive woman. Like she taught second grade Sunday school because that was the, the last, you know, grade level where she still could look over the students. You know, she still had height advantage on us. So she kind of looked down at us a little bit. Uh, but she was this amazing teacher. She had the spiritual gift of flannel graph. Uh, (Laughter) which is what we had before Veggie Tales, okay? Uh, um, and so she would teach and explain to us, these seven-year-olds, the 10 Commandments. And when she got to this one, she would just say, this one's for adults. Okay, now commandment number eight, <laughs> which was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And, and to us, you know, seven-year-olds, they're in the room, we're like, okay, I see the word adult in that. <laughs> this was like, thou shalt not be adults. Is that what this? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, it's not really that complicated, you know. Adultery is, I just have to say this out loud at some point in the sermon, okay? But adultery is simply having sex with somebody else's spouse. Or if you're married, having sex with somebody who isn't your spouse. So let's just broaden this as broad as we can. It's having sex with someone you're not married to. God's will is that sexual intimacy is reserved for man and woman within the boundaries of lifelong covenant marriage. That's the only place it's supposed to live. And sexual activity outside of that demeans the gift that God has given. Because it creates an idol out of being sexually satisfied. And since no idol can really deliver on what it promises, because idols are nothing, you realize this, right? Idols are nothing. And so if you base your life on an idol, you've based it on nothing. And so if you chase after sexual fulfillment as the goal for life, what you are doing is creating an idol, building your life on nothing. And when you do that, you inevitably damage yourself and others. No, You have no other option. When you base your life on nothing, you damage yourself, and you damage other people. You damage yourself spiritually, emotionally, relationally, socially, and physically. You base your life on nothing. When we choose to live outside of God's faithfulness by obeying what our body says it needs, says it wants, says it desires over what the word says. We actually become less than human. And actually, some animals are actually monogamous, so you actually might become less than animals. So, don't do it. No adultery. God's word is simply, don't have sex with people you're not married to. It's not really that complicated. Now, Jesus, you realize, takes this commandment in Matthew's gospel and adds a whole other dimension to it, right? I mean, Jesus is a lot smarter than we are and and he realizes that your genitals are connected to the largest sexual organ in your body, which is your brain. So adultery is not just a physical act because your body is not separate from your mind. You're one whole person, right? Heart, mind, soul, spirit, body, Instagram account. I mean, you're one person. At least that's what you're supposed to be. So engaging in sex with the mind is connected to engaging in sex with the rest of your body. Jesus knows... Again, being a lot smarter than we are, that you can't separate the two. So, let me simplify. Don't mentally commit adultery by looking at someone with lustful thoughts. Also, not that complicated. Jesus used more than two words to say that, but it's still pretty simple. God, apparently, apparently, God thinks very simply about sex. Which really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, God thinks simply about everything. I mean, God is not complicated. God is beyond us. He is transcendent. He is infinite. His thoughts are eternally higher and greater than our thoughts but God isn't complicated to be complicated means there's, there's competing things happening within God's mind and there there isn't God thinks simply God is simple and that's one of the big lessons from the Shema that's what we've been studying all you know semester long together in chapel is hero Israel listen up Israel The Lord, your God, is one. He's unified. There are no competing agendas. He's not schizophrenic. He's eternally, perfectly focused, pure, willing, one thing. Simple. So here's the goal for my message. Here's what I want you to take away from this. I want you to think about sex as simply as God does. Because only when you're as simple as God is, and when you think as simply as God thinks, can you be as faithful as God is. Only when you're as simple as God is, only when you think as simply as God thinks, can you be as faithful as God is. Because while God is simple, we are not. God is one, and we're like 47, 83. Like the great Canadian theologian Avril Levine once said. Why you always got to make things so complicated? It's a good question. See, for us, sex is very complicated, right? I mean, it is. It's very complicated. It's difficult for us to think simple, to be simple, when our lives and our bodies and our families and our relationships and our culture is so incredibly complicated. Thinking simple, thinking faithful seems impossible when you and I are surrounded by infidelity. I'm trying to think simply about sex. I mean, I, I want you to think simply about sex, but we can't be naive. I don't, I don't think we have that option. I understand, or at least, at least I have to acknowledge, the depth of complexity that we have in this room. I know that you, the people in this room, have complications about sex that run the full spectrum from overt rebellion to God's will to suffering abuse at the hands of others. Whether the complications are what you've done or what you are currently doing or what was done to you or, or many of us might find ourselves a little bit of both. Making our way through all the complications toward God's simplicity, toward His purity, seems just impossible. Because this area, more than any other, I I think this is true. This 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 area, more than any other, is is the area where we try to hide from God and other people. We try and keep our sin and our wounds to ourselves as if we could. And living in that shame, which is what it is, no matter what ends of the spectrum you're on here, it's shame. Never makes us feel more, never makes us think more simply. It always adds to the complications. That's what shame does. Shame never focuses. Shame never unifies, purifies your thinking. It always isolates, it always divides. Shame actually disintegrates neural networks in your brain. Shame makes it impossible for you to think simply, purely, with focus. And we carry that shame around like a virus. Where our masks actually transmit it to others. And we infect every relationship we have. With our shame. Every relationship where we could honor God. And so isolated from God and from other people in our shame, what we end up doing is we end up creating gods in our own image. To deal with that. To deal with that isolation. To deal with feeling alone like that. We end up creating gods in our image. The gods we we would like to exist. The God that we can manipulate for our own end, for our own benefit. And since idols are nothing, in order for our lives to make sense, what we end up doing is trying to control other people for our own benefit. Idolatry always leads to injustice. If you create God in your own image, you're going to start controlling people. Most of the time, at least much of the time, I didn't actually count, so I shouldn't say most, but much of the time, the word adultery appears in the Old Testament. It's actually not talking about the actual literal act of sexual infidelity. It's actually a metaphor for Israel failing in its covenant relationship with God. Isolated from God, falling into idolatry, which leads to injustice. Here here would be one example. Would be Jeremiah chapter 3, starting verse 6. This is just one one of several examples in the Old Testament of using adultery as the metaphor. So during the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister, Judah, had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. The people of God created their own God they believed they could manipulate for their own purpose, which led to acts of injustice against one another. You fail in your covenant with God, you're going to fail in your covenant with other people. When you create false gods to worship, you just end up using people. And so if you're using people, you've created a false god. This doesn't even just happen sexually, of course. right? Marriage isn't the only place where people have covenant, relation, or covenant responsibilities to one another. right? Or covenant obligations. In, in every relationship in our lives, we have the responsibility because of what Christ has done for us. And in faithfulness to him to consider others' needs ahead of our own, right? And Philippians 2. So when we fail to do that, we are committing adultery. We are being unfaithful. So adultery could be an abusive friendship where you're using someone merely for what they can give you. So if you're somebody's friend just so you can borrow their car or their employee discount, that's adultery. If you you disregard or dehumanize somebody because they're one of those people, whatever that means, That's adultery. Adultery could be selling somebody out as a friend or holding on to a grudge or just simply prejudice. It's all adultery. Or it could be simply trying to force someone into being what you want them to be. And that's where we find Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, there's a group of Pharisees that come to Jesus to test him, and by that we mean to tempt him. It's the same word used of Satan. Whatever their motives were in asking this question about divorce, they weren't benevolent. Maybe they're trying to force Jesus into taking an unpopular opinion. Maybe they want him to take the same stance that John the Baptist took about Herod and Herod marrying his brother's wife, hoping that Jesus would end up like John the Baptist. Maybe they're just trying to make Jesus prove himself. Hey, you were great, you did great things in Galilee, but this is Judea now, so welcome to the big leagues. Maybe they're just trying to categorize him. Is he one of us or one of them? Whatever their motives were for this test, ultimately it was adulterous. It didn't reflect the faithfulness of God, didn't show genuine concern for Jesus. And that's this story. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no one Separate. Sometimes Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees are hilarious. I especially like when Jesus asked the Pharisees if they've read the Bible. (laughs) Have you guys read the Bible? It's so great. You really should read the Bible. You don't actually have to read very far into the Bible to get to this part. God created marriage. God made people male and female so that he and only he could bring them together so that two, with all their complications, becomes one. And nobody's garbage, nobody's shame, nobody's isolation, nobody's need for control should get in the way of that. We can only be as faithful as God is when we set aside our complications, our desire for control, our idols, our our attempts to manipulate both God and other people, desires born out of shame, to think as simply as God thinks. And here's what God thinks. Bringing people together is his job, not ours. Bringing people together is God's job. When we try to do it, we mess it up. Because we bring in all of our shame, all of our isolation, all of our baggage, all of our garbage, all of our need for control. And that's what leads to infidelity. When God brings a husband and wife together... They can relearn in that unique, committed, lifelong relationship, how to be naked. How to be completely vulnerable with one another and help each other experience freedom from shame. Of course, that means giving up control. That means being willing to be utterly transparent. That means being fully known. To confess our sins, to forgive, to forget to keep no record of wrongs, to find a purity of heart together with someone who helps you live in God's blessing see him almost as clearly as he sees you. We complicate matters and we lose sight of God's faithfulness in order to define the relationship, even whatever the relationship is, according to what we think we need. God's simple, faithful work is bringing us together destroying the dividing walls that separate us, whether that happens in a marriage, family, a friendship, a church, or a society. God has reconciled each one of us to himself. And through Christ has reconciled us to each other. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's his job. When I try and control it, I only mess it up. And that's what I've learned in the last two years. See, a little more than two years ago, God decided it would be a lot of fun if he dropped a handful of fireworks in my living room in the form of this really adorable woman from Southeast Asia. (laughs) So we started dating in uh, June of 2018. I took her to Starbucks because I'm a gentleman And then I took her to Panera, and then I ran out of ideas. (laughs) A little while after that, I I drove out to New Mexico to preach a week of camp. And on the drive back, I'm I'm really wrestling with all of this. Am I really going to go through with this? I'm 44 years old. I've been single all my life. I've lived by myself for the last 18 years. I preached a sermon in chapel about being totally content, being single. She really liked that sermon, by the way. <laughs> when, you're, when you're single for that long, you start thinking there might be something wrong with you. Like, you didn't get the relationship gene. Everybody else got that one. I, I don't get that one. You can't help but think you're deficient in some way. I mean, you're not, but you can't, just, you can't help but think you are. So I'm driving back from New Mexico. I'm driving through the panhandle of Texas, which was completely appropriate landscape for the conversation I was having with God. Utter desolation was like the right scenery for this, okay? I'm giving, I'm just unloading on God. I'm giving him all my excuses and all my complications. I don't know how to be in a relationship. I don't know how to be a boyfriend. What are you kidding me? I'm 44 years old. This is all crazy and unexpected. How can I love this amazing person the way she deserves to be loved? I've got so much junk. I've got so much garbage in my life, God. I don't deserve her. And through all my whining and doubting and general stupidity and being overly complicated, God just kept, God was annoying. (laughs) He just said the same thing over and over again, which is kind of how I think it's from God. Driving through the panhandle of Texas, and God says to me, I will supply all the love you will ever need for her. That's my job, not yours. Mark Scott once told me, with a little side note here. Uh, Mark Scott once told me that Seth Wilson believed that any Christian man and any Christian woman. I suppose if they're kind of close in age. Any Christian man, any Christian woman could get married and have it work. He supposed that if you love God and trust him, if you're following Jesus, you know how to die to yourself and love and serve another person sacrificially, and that's all you really need to have a faithful marriage. I don't know what you think about that. I know what, what went through my mind when I first heard that. I, all, what went through my mind was all the complicating factors. Well, what if he is this and she is this? And, but when you really kind of stop and think about it and reflect on it, it's really kind of beautiful. And you think, well, what about romance? And what about physical attraction and personality profile and physical compatibility? And what about which baseball team they cheer for? You know, all the really important things you've got to consider. All those things are wonderful attraction and romance and even occasionally baseball are wonderful gifts from god but don't turn god's gifts into idols don't try and build a life on them don't let your desire for control complicate things and try to shape things the way you want because what you end up doing is just getting in the way of what only god can do It's when we make idols out of attraction and romance and personality profiles and all the other things. Ultimately, you're carving an idol and writing on it, I deserve to be happy. Those are the first steps on the road to infidelity. When you ground a relationship in those things, it's like building a house on sand. It's only going to end in pain. So anyway, I, I start dating Noi in, in June and it's now January and, I'm, and she and I are sitting in an immigration attorney's office because she's not from here and we have to go through all the visa stuff and how can she get a green card. And I know at that point that I'm going to marry her. I know. But like in six months. Okay, I've got some stuff I need to work on, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with all my Star Wars stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> so, in my mind, we're like we'll get married in June like normal people at some shiplap barn outside of town. And <laughs> and as I'm daydreaming about the shiplap barn, the the lawyer looks at me and says, You need to marry her in thirty days. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so apparently I was unaware of this, but the paperwork for visas and things takes a little bit of time and If this is all gonna work, this guy here has to hurry himself up here and get on the ball. So he's like, do you have a ring? I was like, no, I don't. So we're driving back from the lawyer and I've got the whole deer in the headlights look and Noy is taking this in very, she's super calm. And she asks very sweetly, so what did you think about what the lawyer said? (laughs) I give some kind of stammering nonsense reply because I was dealing with all my shame. I was wrestling with my isolation. All my inadequacies came right at that moment flooding in on me. It wasn't about her. She's wonderful. She's amazing. I know I'm going to marry her. But the reality was hitting. I am opening myself to know her and much more scary than that be known by her. But even as the shame, the isolation, and the complications flooding in God was still being annoying you remember that car ride through Texas right yes Lord I remember the car ride through Texas so we got married 31 days later I did not want to give the lawyer the satisfaction (sighs) (laughs) that was one year eight months and five days ago Hasn't always been simple. Of course, we're not simple. Not yet. We're complicated. You have to work through all of those things. Some from you, some from the other person, some from what other people have done to you. To find God's simplicity, to find his purity so that you can live and walk and love in his faithfulness. Not try to find it by staying in control. Every day, some days it's two steps forward, some days it's three steps back. I, I pray for God's simplicity. I pray for his simple thinking and ask him again for what he promised me in that car ride through Texas. All the love I will ever need for Noy, knowing that he is supplying all the love she needs for me. The seventh commandment means, thou shalt not have other gods before God by using other people for your purpose in order to deal with your shame. God much more simply says no adultery so what if we thought as simply as God thinks about sex about relationships, about family about friendships because it's only when we're as simple as God is and only when we think as simply as God thinks that we can be as faithful as God is only God can bring people together only he can supply all the love we need for one another. For the God who simply faithfully supplies all the love we need to cure our isolation and shame is and, and sending our faithful fiance back to us. In Revelation 19, the day is coming, the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready our faithful groom who supplies all the love all the faithfulness all the forgiveness all the healing we could ever need is returning for our wedding will we think as simply as he thinks we'll be faithful to him and to each other how do we get there? I've grown to love simple prayers because simple prayers invite God's simple mind and focus me center me on that which is real. So maybe just praying a simple prayer like, Lord, purify my heart. Lead me by your love to share my shame, my isolation, where I want to stay in control with those I trust. As you face temptation, as your shame complicates your thinking, as you find God's redemption, to be simple as he is simple, to be one as he is one. Just pray. Lord, purify my heart. Can we pray that together? If you, if you want to, you've got space. If you want to kneel, kneel. But let's just pray that together. Lord, purify my heart. And in my thoughts, purify my heart. With those I love, Lord, purify my heart. For my present or my future spouse, Lord, purify my heart. Or if I stay single the rest of my life, Lord, purify my heart. With where my eyes and my heart linger, Lord, purify my heart. And the media I consume Lord, purify my heart. And my expectations for other people, Lord, purify my heart. With what I've done in the past, Lord, purify my heart. With what I am doing right now, Lord, purify my heart. Because you are calling me and carrying me home. Lord, purify my heart. Amen.